1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. Uh, today, I am joined by Scott Volkortsen uh, of Volkortsen Firearms. He and I hooked up and met down at Winter Strong. Uh, that will likely be the opening of the next I don't know, a couple months worth of guests on the show. Uh, I met so many awesome people down there and I was really excited to get to meet Scott because I followed them uh, for a while and really impressed with the stuff that they do over there. And so I wanted to talk to him about business and how they managed to do things uh, in the firearms industry during this time in in the country and and what it's like. And it was just a really cool opportunity to talk to him about, uh, you know, family culture and business. And, and, you know, this is a business that's been running for decades now. Uh, their dad started it, you know, several decades ago, and then Scott and his brother took the reins uh, in the last 20 or so plus years. Uh, but this has been something that's really cool, and I love the fact that they uh, are a rimfire company, you know, working 22s. I got to shoot a ton of them this last weekend in South Carolina, and uh, it was just, they're so amazingly built, so amazingly handcrafted, and uh, I was really just really excited to get to shoot them and get to just learn some more about about Scott and, and the company and connect with him even more so I know you guys are gonna dig this episode uh, because he is a very smart man and he has a lot of great insight on running a business and uh, tells some great stories and and it's really interesting to hear a lot of the stuff that they're going through right now so before we get into the episode if you guys want to go like uh, subscribe follow whatever it is on whatever platform you listen to go do that and then if you have the ability also feel free to leave a review or click the five star button all of that really does help the show grow and uh without it you know we wouldn't be growing the way that we got that we do right now and that's thanks to you guys so thank you for all of the support and listening it's it's awesome and i'm very humbled to see it at this you know this regularly so thank you for all who do this for us uh this one is it was a really fun one for me so i know you guys are going to dig it uh so without further ado here is the conversation with me and scott All right, we are live, Scott. How are you today, my friend? I am good. Do- I am good, Ross. How are you doing? I'm recovering now. Uh, we were, <laughs> we were. I can relate. Yes, we we're coming off of Winter Strong several days ago, and then I had a gnarly little bug uh, 24 hours ago, and so I think it was my body just telling me like, take a chill for a couple of days after <laughs> a crazy weekend. Um, but I was really pumped to. To get down there and, I mean, that that whole weekend is just kind of something special. And everybody is like, you know, you can't ever really describe what it's like to anybody. Uh, But just the connections with everybody was so cool and getting to meet awesome guys like you and uh, got to shoot all your guns and they're something else, man. So I was pumped to be able to. Thank you. Yeah, I was pumped to be able to talk to you today.
0: You know, it's an interesting event because it acts like almost like as a reset or a recharge. But at the same time, it's exhausting. Yeah, and I think it's because it's you know two or three, however many days we're down there, of like real conversations. Yes, and you want to be on your game, and you want to be engaged, and doing that for 10 to, ten to twelve hours a day becomes exhausting. I mean, it's it's awesome, but <laughs> yeah, it really at, is. At the same point, it's tiring.
1: Yeah, it's. uh and that's a perfect way to describe it too, because it's not like there's, you know, you're just around and you're kind of there passively. Like you are, it's, it's engaging. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always breakout things to do and like go learn from people, but even just, uh, just having conversations with people. I mean, like deep, I mean the whole thin air, deep water thing, the kind of the slogan of the whole event really kind of rings true to that because it was just like every conversation you have is like, boy, this is some, this is some deep stuff we're getting into and it's awesome. I loved it. And, and you really get out of it what you put into it. I mean, you could sit off to
0: the side in the tent and mind your own business, but it's
1: really one of those events that you get out of it, what you pour into others. Absolutely. And, uh, it being my first one, it was like, I was, I was very, uh, like I had the idea of just from friends that I have that have been there for you know, four years now, uh, you have your idea of what it's like going in and I was kind of right but then even, even that is just like, it's so much different and in, in a good way. Like, it's awesome. I mean, it was yeah. just the whole weekend but uh, I we had several stations of stuff where we got to shoot several of your guns that you make and that was uh, part of the deals that we did on the competition on Saturday uh, which was rad too but uh, just getting able to shoot your awesome craftsmanship work, uh, was, was really cool. I haven't had a chance to do that before. So I loved them, man. They're, they are something else. Well, and we love that
0: part of it, both the competition on Saturday, but maybe even more so the range time we get like on Friday. Yeah. That was awesome. You know, because it's such a you or diversified group that there's some people that are expert marksmen, former snipers, And then you have other people that have never fired a firearm in their life. Yeah. And then to be able to watch how quickly they pick up on it with the instructors that Burt puts together, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know even, you know, I've grown up in the business and been around it all my life, but every time I listen to guys like Brady or Buck or Tess or, you know, any of those guys
1: doing instruction, I'm like, I've never heard it said that way. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously. It was, I did uh, on, on the, on Friday I did, I spent most of the afternoon over at the long range uh, area with Brady and Buck and, and those guys. And I think Caleb was over there too. Um, But I was talking to, uh, I was talking to somebody else about just the, the level of instruction. Like there's listening to Buck, you know, teach is unbelievable. Like there's no wasted words anywhere. Like it's exact. I mean, you figure he's probably had, thousands of hours and just on the instruction side of things too. not even to add in all of the hours just practice himself you know and the unique thing about the way they do it
0: is obviously they know the ins and outs and everything about what they're teaching but they make it so not intimidating for those people that have never shot yeah you know they're like okay let's let's start with where you're at and we'll work up
1: yeah, it's a, it's a really cool way to go about it. And then I think also, especially for the people who don't have as much experience shooting, having the things that we're shooting being 22s, like that is a little bit a, a, a better barrier to entry, I think, for a lot of people too than like sitting behind a 308 or something like that, you know, having never put a finger on a trigger before. Yeah. And it allows them to develop their skill set without
0: having to worry about recoil. Yeah. You know, they're not really overly loud. Right. And the cool part about it, at least for us, obviously, because we're in the rimfire market, you know, but for some of those people that had never shot, but they wanted to keep putting rounds down range, you can do that with a rimfire all day long. You know, when you're shooting larger calibers, which is fun as it can be, there's a limit to how many rounds you're going to want to put down range. Right. You know, just from a physical... Standpoint, yeah, it wears you out. Yeah, so yeah, it's I have, This is our third year being down there, bringing our firearms for the event, mm-hmm. and
1: I I absolutely love it. And look forward to it every week or every year. Yeah, it was it was something awesome. Um, I want to actually I want to hear a little bit about kind of how everything started for you because uh, the history part of it is something that's really interesting because I'm really curious about like why rimfire. Right? Like what you know, how all how this whole story of of your company came together. So that actually
0: happened when I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. My dad used to do sort of general gunsmithing, refinishing, everything and anything that could put a meal on the table. Sure. You know, because he had four kids. And he had gone full-time in the firearms industry in 1986. And he's one of those guys that he did not want to hire outside of the family. Mm. He always thought something would be lost if it wasn't your last name on the product. So with it being just a truly, just a family business, he had to kind of narrow his focus on what he could work on because he was being spread too thin. Mm. And at the time, there was already guys that were doing wonderful things, like with 1911s. The AR market wasn't what it is now, but there was already people doing stuff. And when he started looking at things, he said, that The one thing that everybody seems to have, regardless of what they're into from a shooting standpoint, is a rim fire, a 22. Yep. You know, even shotgun hunters, they have 22s. Archery guys typically have a 22 stashed away somewhere. Yep. And up until that point, nobody had really ever gone down that road of trying to accessorize like the Ruger 1022 and MK series of pistols. So Dad and another guy out of Louisiana, Jim Clark, who was one of our competitors, but they kind of started the whole aftermarket craze for the 1022. Mm-hmm. And it was so new that I remember dad trying to get our barrels and different accessories that he had made into some distributors. And they laughed at him. They said, nobody's going to, at this time, nobody's going to spend $200 on a barrel for $100.22. Right. And he became a little bit discouraged, but fortunately he's also very stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) So in this case, it almost served as like a little bit of fire for him or incentive to be like, well, you wait, I'm going to make this work one way or the other. That's awesome. And over the years, we've kind of built that as our identity of being the Rimfire company. Yeah. Even there was about a decade that we built a center fire that we really were eventually gonna bring back out in a redesigned configuration. But even then we were still considered like the Rimfire guys. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of times people will say, when are you gonna go into something bigger? When are you gonna move on? You've had to saturate that market by now. We've expanded from being a family business to almost 30 employees now. Wow. Our machine capacity is much greater than it's ever been. And we are further behind now than we've ever been. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. So, you know, and it allows us to, you know, they always talk in business, like try to find a niche and own that particular market. Totally. And that's, and I, I don't want to say like we own that market, but we've been able to have a significant chunk of that market and stick with what we know and it you know it's evolved because initially it was all just aftermarket parts right you know trigger components barrels and then it evolved into in 1998 we got our manufacturing license and that's when we started building our complete rifles and pistols which was a combination or a culmination of all the things that we said if we ever build our own, as we were trying to rebuild other people's guns. Yeah, you know, if we ever build our own, we will do this. We'll do that. And and even since that time in '98, it's an evolution of things that we learn. And that's the one thing great about like this past weekend, or putting our hands in the or our guns in the hands of people that may not be the most accomplished shooters in the world. Sure, it teaches us what we need to do better on the manufacturing side what can we improve from a design aspect what can we improve make it easier for them but still perform at the level that like you know our champion shooters like let's say colby pavlock that was down there yep you know what what can we do to make sure we're servicing both sides of the spectrum
1: yeah it's uh it was a really cool and and the idea that everybody's got a 22 right like you said it was uh that was one of the things that was really funny that Buck had said when we were out on the range that during those (laughs) stuff, he had said, uh, he he had asked a question. He's like, okay, who's, who's never shot a 22 rifle before? And there was like only like three people that had raised their hands. He's like, okay, we got three people who aren't adults yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, that's one of those like rites of passage things in America where you have to send some 22s at 200 yards. It's like the funnest thing in the world. <laughs> he's like, it totally is. <laughs> so the idea of like, uh, you know, finding that that corner of the market that you guys love and want to serve really well, like, I mean, that's that's really kind of, the, the biggest thing in business is, like you said, find out what you love like, what section you want to serve and get really freaking good at serving that that section. And it's going to be from a business standpoint, way more beneficial long term too you know, it's that uh, I had a business coach once always spoken like these parables and analogies and stuff, which I loved. But, you know, it's like casting a, a net into the ocean without knowing what you're fishing for. Like, you're just just (laughs) going to throw one out and see what I catch. Like, that's never going to lead you to much success in business. But it's like, I know what I'm looking for, and I know that they're over here. I'm going to be way better a fisherman. And it's interesting you put it that way because I would say early on, that's kind of what
0: my dad was doing. Yeah. And fortunately for my brother and myself, he learned a lot of those lessons and was able to – he never really, like, had to – teach them to us and necessarily like mm-hmm. sitting in a sit down session. We just learned through watching him, mm. but he was also very open about like mistakes that he would make. Yeah. You know, like you were talking about just casting a net. He was so trying to do something in every single area and make everybody happy yeah. that he was busy, but he wasn't necessarily moving the needle forward he was constantly being reactive to all the stuff coming in. And it wasn't until he became proactive and said, okay, I'm going to say no to this side of the market.
1: And this is where I'm headed that his business really took off. So what stage did, uh, I mean, like, was this something that from, cause he's doing it when you're a child and like, was this always kind of the plan? Like you were just going to take over when, uh, the time came or, or how did that go about?
0: I went through that phase of, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And then you go into high school and you start having that little bit of rebellion stage where there's zero chance I'm coming back to work for my family. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm going to go do whatever. But then I would say like my junior year of high school, I decided this is what I want to do. Yeah. And I ended up going to tool and die school. And the one thing that I always worried about when I came back is I always figured dad was going to be one of those guys that was going to be 95 years old walking out to the shop and still telling us what to do. Like <laughs> right. we had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it ended up being perfect timing because as I got out of tool and die school and then my brother did the same about five years later, the industry was moving from where everything was being done more on manual mills and mm-hmm. lathes and, into more CNC production stuff. Mm. Marketing was changing, you know, websites were becoming a thing. Digital marketing came after that. And, and dad's true, I'll call it his true genius was his ability to be a true craftsman. Yeah. One off type stuff. You know, we always joked that when I came back, I'd be like, where's the print to do this? And he would say, well, just look at it. You go from, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you just eyeball it. Right. (laughs) right." And that's how he did everything. Yep. But that's what he enjoyed. And that's what he, you know, that's where his creative part came from. Sure. Where I was more, I enjoy the computer side of things with CNC programming and being able to see what we could do there. So as that transition came you know dad s- stepped away rather quickly mm-hmm. we would still bounce ideas off of him and say what do you think about this have you ever seen this and we still do to this day much less than we did back in you know when we started mm-hmm. but it actually worked out perfect timing that everything was changing and and i get, i always give him credit that he knew enough that's not what he was really interested in yeah he but he also knew that's where the business was going and for us to keep growing that's where
1: we were going to have to go. So did you come into it with, uh, we need to hone in on some aspects of this that weren't really a focus before? Like what, when you came in and kind of, I guess, take charge, like what was your, what was your main goal from that point moving forward? I don't think I knew it at the
0: time, but my main focus was how can we scale this a little bit? Mm -hmm how can we duplicate this and have it where we can have other people come in and help us, you know, get things more on paper, get more prints done, get more systems in place, you know, because, you know, fortunately it never happened, but if something would have happened to dad in those early days, there was nothing on paper.
1: Right. You know, the majority
0: yeah. of his designs were done on napkins and then, Or just just lived in his head. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Which is great when he's around and we can ask questions to him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not great when you're trying to scale and grow a business. Yeah. You know, because as we know, things happen. Yeah. So that was kind of like where I took it was. How can we make this more something that we can keep producing on a larger volume, but at the same time, not lose that quality
1: and attention to detail that Dad had built his reputation on. Mm. So, what things were you guys working on implementing at that point to do that? Was it just the from the, from the business side of things? Was there things you guys focused in on there?
0: Focused on bringing more of the computer side into things, and then we almost had to backtrack and start doing, you know, like reverse engineering some of our parts into getting more prints done. Gotcha. And getting, you know, like I said, more stuff on paper that we could build from there. So we almost had to take a step backwards and be like, okay, here's where we're at. Kind of like
1: relay the foundation to a lot of the stuff Yes. you have things to move off of and and build off Yes. And I
0: always say it's interesting because when you do that and you're in the middle of it, I'd be lying if I said I had this grand plan to do this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But you... You know, you just look at things and, and we were a very small company. So we were not only trying to do like the business planning side of things, mm-hmm. but we also had to do all the work, mm-hmm. handle the phone calls, the shipping, the everything, everything. Yeah. And, and I had always watched as we grew up and I don't want to make this sound like a bad thing, but dad missed out on a lot of things that we did mm-hmm. out of necessity, building the business. Sure. And my goal was to get it that I could take part in my kids' activities. I could, you know, like do the event we did last weekend and different things like that. But then at the same time, trying to grow and not lose, you know, that attention to detail, the quality that we pride ourselves on. Mm -hmm. It was really hard trying to start bringing new people into the fold.
1: That is something that is always interesting to me in a product based business like from just the the growing that happens with a lot of companies when you get to a certain point it it and maybe you've reached this point and had to make some decisions but it always seems like there's a point where you're so you're so scaled and bigger from where you started that there's a conversation that has to happen about like how do we keep doing this without losing the quality of what it is that we're doing and so like I mean, you said that there was kind of that conversation, but like, how did that go? I mean, what, I mean, were there some kind of decisions that had to be made to preserve kind of like that quality aspect of it?
0: Yeah. So early on, everything, even as we started to grow, everything would still go through dad. Yep. And then that transition to where everything would go through my brother and myself. We were still putting, you know, our eyes on every single product. And, you know, now it seems to be much easier now because there's so many business coaches out there, so many different events you can go to Mm -hmm. that I feel like learning is much easier now than it was 20 years ago. Totally. So the, you know, one of the biggest things we had to do was try to create that even though we're hiring now outside the family that it's, we are still one large family building a family-based product. So we made it, and we still do this to this day, is we don't necessarily have like an assembly line where this group is putting in the trigger guard. Right. This group is installing the barrel. Our guys build them from start to finish. So it allows them to take pride in the fact that when that gun goes out the door, they sign their name to a certificate of authenticity card. And if it comes back, you know, it's on them to figure out what happened. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest thing we did is we, even as we grew, we never turned it into like an assembly line approach.
1: That's really cool because keeping everything and and you and I had talked about this a little bit this weekend, but uh, you guys do, I mean, you guys do everything in house. I think you said the, is it the barrels? It's the only things that you the, guys don't correct. do the, currently. The barrels come into us and it's unique. We, we've had a
0: business relationship with the people that manufacture barrels all the way back to like 1990. Oh, wow. So there's even a little bit of like a family sure. relationship
1: there just because of the length of time. That's really cool because there isn't, and that's another level of kind of the, the pride of the quality is like, hey, we do every aspect of this in this building. Yes. And that kind of, you know, like you said, the fa- the family aspect of it's really cool, but then that even just kind of adds another level to the story of the quality, which is something that I know uh, is hard to come by a lot when it comes to, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's many like start to finish American made things anymore. And, and the one thing that we encounter a lot,
0: we'll have people when they see how we manufacture certain parts, like some of our internal parts, yeah, they'll, they'll say they're like, well, that's a cost uh, prohibitive way to do that. Or doesn't that take too much time to do it that way? Mm-hmm. And we've learned over the years, we've, it's not that we're not aware of higher volume production ways to do stuff. Right. We've tried them, you know, whether it be mem parts or cast parts, whatever. And we've always had like a, we've had to give up something to have that lower cost part. And it's not something we're interested in. So, and I, you know, back then I'm not even sure I knew what company culture was. Yeah. But it's something that we've been able to kind of build is we're gonna build the best rim fire we can build, and then we'll figure out how to price it from there, not the other way around. Right. Which we've had guys, customers say, Why don't you build like a economy, like an entry level firearm so we can at least get our hands on it. Right which is very tempting because we could sell a lot of them. But the more we talk about it, the more I feel that when you start doing that, you're telling your entire team that it's okay to cut corners. And then all of a sudden, where do they differentiate between the entry level rifle to our top end rifle with those cutting of corners? So we've just always said, we're not going to do that. We're going to, you know, build it to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. And if it ends up being too expensive or the market won't bear it, we'll scrap it because we're not interested in doing something lesser than what we know is available out there. Right. And um, I'm, which go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and it's one of those things that kind of transfers all like through all areas of your life. When you start with that mindset. Yes. And it, It's been, it's much easier to grow that now, like I said, with all the business coaching and being able to bounce ideas off of people. And even the fact that I think companies are more willing to share information and help each other through social media, you know, and I'm looking at your MKC hat on, (laughs) and this is something that Josh Smith and I have talked about is, you know, right now he's still in that mode of, he wants to have his eyes or his finishing touches on every single knife that leaves. And he said it's going to be a struggle when they get to the point that they've grown enough that he can't do that. Yeah. Because it's his blood, sweat, and tears and his idea for when he was 19 years old that built that company. And that's going to come
1: come sooner than he thinks, too, at the rate that they're going right now.
0: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, it's conversations that we've had because he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But he said, I also understand that it has to be done. In order for us to go
1: to that next step or that next level totally it's such a i mean it's a good problem to have right i mean but navigating that in the moment i can imagine that's something that is there's there's probably a lot of conversations where you're like man i mean it's probably happening faster than you think at the time you make me like the capability or the capacity for it you weren't sure you had at the time so i mean it's always interesting to see how how companies navigate that because you've seen, I mean, we've all seen countless examples of people that blow up and then all of a sudden the quality tanks and it's just about cranking out numbers of stuff. And then that's when all those things, like you had mentioned, like, let's maybe shave a little bit off here so we can just get more out the door kind of a situation. And that ends up long-term being, you know, harmful and, in a way. Yes. And that even comes into like the type of equipment that we
0: buy. Yeah you know, the machining centers we purchase are extremely expensive. So you have to be patient as you grow. Mm. You know, it's not like we had the capital to say, okay, we're going to go buy, you know, 12 horizontal machining centers and put them on the floor. Mm. Right. It's, you know, we buy one at a time, make sure we have enough work for that particular machine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, manage the payments on it and do all that and then keep growing. So You know, in the early years, not only do we have to try to figure everything out, how to keep our quality up, but we were also using outside machine shops just because we did not have the capacity and in some cases the know-how to do what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's where I always give credit to like the guys that we have in our shop now is when you put the right people in place and you can remove... I always say, once I remove my ego and said, you guys
1: do your thing, they become much better at it than I ever could have. That takes a level of trust too. And I mean, like in just hiring the right people, I mean, that's a big, that's a big part of it too. Cause I know a lot of guys who have employees, but they, they can't give up that, you know, they have to have that hold on something all the time and it ends up like, well, give these people that you hired a chance to do the thing that you hired them to do.
0: <laughs> and I, I don't know where I read this or if somebody told me this, probably a business coach, but everybody's always so worried about showing somebody everything that you do mm. because you don't want them to go out on their own or you don't want them to take their ideas to another company. Yeah. But, it, and I'm going to have to paraphrase cause I don't remember it exactly, but something to the effect of, you know, what if you don't show them everything you know and they never leave? now you have a halfway employee that nobody even wants to take on their staff or they don't have the ability to go out on their own, or would you rather show them everything, you know, and give them, you know, an open platform to do what they can and just let them grow. Yeah. And I think for us, that's been one of the biggest things is, and, and it was not easy. I will say that, if you went and asked them right now, they'd probably say I micromanage way too long. (laughs) (laughs) But as we've grown and gotten to that point, I've learned as a business owner that if you hire the right people and you empower them, they will grow and continue to do great things for your company. And, you know, I'll be upfront that you know, I think if you treat your employees well, too, they don't have necessarily have that desire to go out on their own and, right. you know, quote unquote, steal your ideas. Right. Because in the, whatever, 27 years that I've been here, you know, we've only had like one or two employees that have left us. Wow. That's amazing. So it's something we take great pride in. Yeah. And, and over the last couple of years, you know, we've also learned that it's not just about an hourly wage or a salary that you're paying them. You know, the world's changed. They need more flexibility. They want to be able to, you know, go to their kids' activities. Mm-hmm. And that's something we try to do. You know, because the way I see it is if I'm going to my kids' basketball game, how – in what place is that right that they can't go watch their kid? Right. Why, why do I think I'm better off than they are? <laughs> oh, totally. Tough to justify it. <laughs> it's tough to justify it. And and I think they end up appreciating that. And that's why it doesn't always come down to necessarily money. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to make as much money as possible. But we try to build those perks in. Mm. And. I think that circles back to when we're building products, it gives them a little bit more pride that they want to be part of something. So everybody's working towards a common goal.
2: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, it, it them being bought in to what you guys are doing as just a organization and as you said before, like as a culture those things make them in turn want to come back and help you like we're going to make these the best freaking guns that exist yes you know it's it's the whole circle of of the culture and the attitude that goes involved in a in an organization like that i'm really i go ahead well i was just gonna say i and i've learned a lot of that from following
0: like bert soren and becoming friends with him mm-hmm. on how he manages his company it's obviously a much larger company but when you go tour that place, everybody looks like they're having fun. Everybody's bought in. All their employees are constantly sharing Sorenek stuff online. And, you know, I've been in enough different businesses. You can tell when people are happy to be somewhere. Yep. And it seems like for I'm sure they have their outliers, but it seems like the majority of the people that are in his building
1: or associated with that company want to be there and enjoy what they do. Absolutely. It's pretty obvious when you walk in, walk in there that that's the case, too. Um, I'm really curious because I have not had a chance to speak to someone who is in the business that you are in about how difficult or not difficult it is to do what you do right now from a legal standpoint. Like there are and with all the different state laws and things, because I remember when we were talking to uh, uh, Greg Walsh. When we were down there and cause he lives in New York. And so I remember like, right when you said that, you're like, oh, okay. Like we're going to have to do a couple things in order to, to get you one. Like how difficult is it to navigate all of kind of the nonsense stuff that's going on right now for you guys? It's hard. Yeah. The, the one good thing
0: is obviously when we ship a firearm out, mm-hmm. it has to go to a licensed dealer in the state that the person's buying it from. Right. So those state and local laws are technically on the dealer to follow, but from a business side, if I'll use your New York as an example, Mm -hmm. if we build a gun that is not New York compliant and we ship it out there, now it becomes the dealer's out his time. The customer's waited four or five months to receive a firearm that now they can't own. Who's responsible to ship it back? And, and it just leaves a bad taste in the customer's mouth. Yeah. So we do have to stay up on top of as much as possible of all the different state and local variances, regulations. And, and the hardest part is some of them make zero sense whatsoever. <laughs> I'd imagine most of them make zero sense whatsoever. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are correct. And it and they change so often. Right. So. You know, like, it's almost impossible for us to sell a handgun in the state of California. And customers get upset with us that it's on us, but they have their drop tests you have to submit to. They have micro stamping. And, you know, when you're a smaller business, there's a, at some point, the ROI is not there to try to maintain all that. Right. And then the other part of what's tough right now is trying to market on social media. Most people don't understand how restricted we are. Yeah. You know like we get reels taken down all the time, our TikToks.
1: I was going to say I'm surprised you down. even have an account like your account can even exist because every time they post any sort of firearm anything like that post gets taken down. So it's yes. like how do you even do any of that? That's that's super and that's super why annoying. we ha- we try to navigate that.
0: And it's I think it's why you see our business so often use ambassadors or influencers or whatever you want to call them. Totally. You know, people are like, why are you giving that person a firearm or why do you pay that person? But we can't do paid advertising on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. So for us to grow and get eyeballs on our stuff, we have to use those other avenues and play within their system. And it's easy to say, well, go to one of the other platforms that's more gun friendly. But the harsh reality is everybody is
1: on. Yeah. Nobody's over there. Nobody's over there yet. It's they're still like it's it's not doesn't have the reach or the power that any of the other ones do still. Right.
0: So we have to play within that system. So that's probably one of our biggest challenges right Mm -hmm. now is working within that. And it it's interesting because a lot of people like, you know, state in New York. Greg obviously is familiar with the um, laws out there, but you'll talk to a lot of people and you're like, I don't think you can own that. And they'll be like, why not? And we do get the benefit since we build rim fires. Like, I just had to look up a state law yesterday, but fortunately, we can have a threaded barrel because we build rim fires. Mm. But if you build a center fire and sell it to that state, you cannot have a threaded barrel. Really?
1: Just dumb stuff like that. It's just. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, you know, like, there's certain states, you can't build a pistol that weighs over 50 ounces. And I think all it is is they find particular firearms that they don't want on this. They don't want to be able to be sold. Right.
1: And they cater and like, to well, those things.
0: Th- that doesn't have any evil features. So, <laughs> oh, but it weighs 51 ounces. Let's just get rid of all of them over 50 ounces. There, we solved that problem. Oh, my gosh. And that that's the one interesting thing about the last couple of years, how people are starting to see, you know, Accounts be shadow banned and all these different things. Mm. I'm like, hey, we've been dealing with this for the last 10 years. I don't know where you guys have been. Right?
1: <laughs> we grew up being shadow banned.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, like our credit card processing rates are oh, typically higher because, you know, we're lumped into drug dealers, pornography, just, you know, it's, and then firearm dealers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous, man.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's so frustrating because, like I said, when we ship a firearm out, like if I was to ship you a gun, it's going to your local dealer and you're still doing all the background checks right. or whatever is applicable in your state right. to purchase that firearm.
1: So when you have those, uh, like those orders come in, I mean, like you said, you can basically not get any handguns in California, but are there any where you're like you've had to – it's been too difficult to even get anything across or are you guys like you can navigate them and like know your loopholes around to where it's like, we can get you one. It's just going to, we it's going to take longer because we've got to go through a much deeper process for, for you.
0: Yeah. We're able to navigate most of those. Yeah. Like there's certain states if they, if they don't require, if they, if you can't have like a threaded barrel to have a compensator right. or a muzzle brake installed, you can like pin and weld the comp on. So it's permanent. And it, it takes a little more time to make it look right. And, you know, so there are ways to get around certain things. Yeah. But it's it's frustrating when you see like some, and then even sometimes there's like a certain cities or counties will have like very specific firearm laws. And those it's almost impossible for us to stay up on. I mean, we can try to spend all day on the internet. Yeah, you got to have a full-time person just to keep a tr- keep track of all that stuff. Yes. And that's what—we have a fantastic person in charge of our compliance, so we we defer to her a
1: lot on these questions. Yeah, I bet. So, okay, and, and this is me not actually knowing if you can or not, but do you or can you do international anything? Yes. Okay, so, I mean, that's probably a whole other level of difficulty to do that kind of yeah. stuff, right? Yes, it is. And— you see it's very difficult
0: because what's required to get them to different countries becomes a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. The, the laws that they have over there are when, when we talk to some of those guys at some of the international trade shows, it really wakes us up as why it's so important that we defend every single inch of the second amendment here. Mm -hmm. And they'll tell us that, you know, because, um, Don't quote me on this. I think it's like Norway. You can have up to six firearms. Okay. So if you want a seventh one, you have to pick one of those six to sell. So you start talking to those guys and you're like, wow. But yeah, we're able to, fortunately, and once again, being in the rimfire market, this was unintentional. We Mm -hmm. can't say we planned this we get by much easier than a lot of the center fire mm-hmm. or like AR companies do trying to sell into different countries. But we sell into, you know, like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, basically all over the world. And people, a lot of times are surprised at how many firearms we sell into Australia because we always hear on the news that they can't have guns. That's what I was just thinking when you said that. Yeah, But surprisingly, they actually have more guns in Australia now than they did prior to the ban Back in 96 90, or yeah, whatever that was. yeah, Crazy. There, there's more firearms. It's more restricted and it's tougher for people to get them, but they sure. actually have more guns in Australia
1: now than they did prior to 1996. Makes you wonder how the entire continent of Australia is as ridiculous as it is right now with all of the lockdown and all the stuff that's going on there. It's like, I, cause I was like, same thing. I was under the assumption. it was like, well, that's what you get when you get rid of all your guns in the country. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I have talked to our dealer over there
0: about that. Yeah. And he said, what we're seeing on the news is kind of a isolated area of Australia. Okay. He said the majority of Australia is not in that same style lockdown. Gotcha.
1: And, and that's what, I mean, I don't know that to be fact. I don't want to. That's kind of like the example of even here in the States, it's basically like what, what, Goes on in California is not what's happening in most of the Correct. other parts of the country. And even within and California, it, like it's just, just basically say, LA. <laughs> yeah,
0: LA, uh, San Francisco. You know, San Francisco, yeah. some of the major cities. You know, it's like Illinois. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, oh, Illinois is so, you know, one side or whatever. And yeah. really all it is is Chicago. Chicago and Cook County. Yep. The rest of Illinois is much like, you know, we're like we are in Iowa here. Yeah. But yeah, he said, how did he say that i think he was said melbourne is like our new york they get all the news they get all the publicity sure. but it's
1: not representative of the rest of the country yeah but that's what everybody sees so it makes yes. paints that picture just like just like it does here though i mean like we yes. see what you know the the small short clip of whatever that they want us to see and that's supposed to give us the impression that that's what's going on Everywhere,
0: and, and that really opened my eyes when we started going to EWA, which is a international trade show in Germany. Okay. People would come up and they'd ask us questions that they saw on the news. Mm-hmm. And you realize what they're seeing is so far from the reality that we have in our country right now. Wow. That I'm like, you know, it was, it was an eye opener just to be like, okay, this is why they may think that because that's all they're seeing on their
1: news. What kind of and, what kind of things were they see like I mean specifically do you have any examples? Well, the of what they easiest
0: were example is like back in uh, 2017 when I was at IWA, that was shortly after Trump was elected. Yeah. And all they ever saw were the clips in the media of the things that trying to portray him as the worst human alive. <laughs> totally. You know, and I said, I go, well, you're not seeing all the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. But yeah, because they'd come up and they're like, you know, we're sorry you have to live with him as your president and all that. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And, and not to go down the politics road, but I want to say, do you see what we have going on now? Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> seriously. It's it's funny because then you, I mean, you think about that from an international standpoint, that's what they see, but it's the same thing here though. I mean, yes. it's how many people that that only watch one thing for one hour a day. And that's how their whole essential like worldview is based around that. Like what's on the news at dinner when I sit down every day, like, and that's all I know about what's going on anywhere. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's crazy and scary, you know? I agree. And
0: I think that's what is so refreshing about being at an event like winter strong is you're almost isolated and removed from that entire cycle and we're able to go back 5 or 10 years and have like real conversations with people you know versus chastising or mm-hmm. demonizing somebody because they have a different
1: view than we do yeah it's just like go hang out in the woods for a few days and you realize that yeah. things aren't things aren't that bad <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> they're way better than okay. they're made out to be <laughs> yeah and th- i think that's what always draws me to the shooting
0: range is there's no time for conversations like that. Yeah. You know, you have to be hundred percent in the moment of paying attention to what you're doing and even more so in an environment like that, where there may be 20 or 30 people surrounding you on a
1: range, you know, it's almost like a mini retreat is the way I see it. It really is. It was, uh, and like, I mean, I'll probably, I think I probably got like, and I'm sure you're the same, have like three months worth of, podcast to schedule from people (laughs) that I met this weekend and uh, just having those conversations. It's it's something else. And it's funny because I told our uh, marketing director, Chad,
0: I said people that are listening to our podcast are going to hear a lot of. So we met at Winter (laughs) Strong. Seriously. (laughs) Or we first met at Winter Strong. But then as I talked to him on the flight back home, I said, but the, the kicker is there's so many awesome and unique people there Yeah, that
1: it's almost like a disservice if you don't get some of their stories out there. Absolutely. And, and, and as in depth as everything we did was, it's still so confined to just being there that it's like, man, we can go so much deeper on some of these things. And I just like want to keep talking to these people, you know? And, uh, it was the same thing when I came back from, from SummerStrong last year and it was like you know there's the next 10 11 episodes were all my summer strong people <laughs> it's like it's kind of the same here but that's that's kind of the beauty of those those types of things it's uh because i'm it was a really funny story that everybody kind of said and the level of people that were there are just it's like i'm, I'm still kind of in awe of it um as josh said you you look around at who's there and you're like, why am I here? But everybody thought that way too. And it's crazy. And like that, and that goes to the, like, that's, that means that's the right people that are there. You know, there, nobody thinks they're too big to be involved with what's going on. And like, I, I mean, scout snipers and CEOs of like multi-million dollar companies and Olympians. And it's just like, what is this room? Or this tent, like it's crazy. I mean, got an entire group of people from a company that's going public today. Yeah, that what that did go today, huh? That's crazy. Yeah, all the black rifle you know, guys. And, and the one thing that I always like about that
0: event is you don't know what anybody does. Yeah. Until you ask them, right? Like it's not you obvious. Know where most <laughs> times, yeah, everybody wants to tell you what they're doing and how great they are. Yeah. But you'll be talking, and you're like, so what did you do? Uh, not much, you know, I'm a 10 year NFL vet. Oh, not much. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, yeah, like in the case of like Brady and those guys, oh, um, you know, recon scout sniper.
1: Yep. And you're like, Oh, meet Logan Stark. And he's like, Oh yeah, we're our black rifle founder going public on Thursday yeah <laughs> like, oh my gosh it's just nuts because everybody shows up and then they're all just wearing camo and all like you know it's camo and beards, and like everybody kind of looks the same, and so it's like you know yes, there's that, that level to it where it's you know everybody's well, got their own story, yeah, and I thought I knew like guys
0: like Derek Woodsky I' followed his story, and yeah. I've met him a couple different times, but then I started talking to him the other night, and I'm like, oh, and he worked for the Cleveland Browns, and he worked for Zach Brown for a year, I'm like. <laughs> You know, what else have you done that I... <laughs> right, it's... But so that's cool. the way it is
1: with everybody. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it really is something where it's, like, when you get back from it, you're like, okay, well, that's going to be my yearly pilgrimage every, Feb- yes. <laughs> every February. Like, if I can help it, I won't miss another one, like, unless there's some sort of extenuating circumstance. But it's a... Uh, it was a blast, man. And it's not like... You know, the weather's great, usually, because... See, that first day? day,
0: (laughs) It was downpouring on us. We were all just happy to be outside.
1: I have, so... Trying to start fire. So, I mean, I'm from Idaho, right? So, I've never been in, like, southern rain before until Friday. Like, the only other time I've ever been to, quote-unquote, the south, was when I was there for Summer Strong, and that was, you know, 100 degrees and humid. It wasn't the same, but, like, that was intense, Rain Like, for six, seven hours on that first morning was, like, I bet it put down six inches, six, seven inches of water. It was crazy.
0: And that, you know, that next morning, yeah, the temperature was much warmer there than it was here in Iowa. Yeah. But down there, it was, like, a damp cold. Yeah. Which I was trying to explain to people back home. I'm like, yes, it's warmer, but it's not really that much warmer because— ice just
1: floating in the air because it's just so thick with water. But we all— we all do it every year just for the event. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, so looking like into where the company is growing and because, I mean, you're kind of on this really cool trajectory with, with growth and things like that and the way that you guys are navigating all this stuff. What's got you kind of pumped about things in the future? Like you guys doing some things coming up that you're really excited about?
0: We have some. So our entire industry the last two years has been you can sell everything you make. Mm. So it's really taken away a little bit from companies, including us being able to innovate and come out with some new stuff mm. because you're just trying to fill orders. Sure. But we have a some new projects that we're working on. One that'll be released next week. Oh, nice. And then we have another one that's just kind of sitting in the background waiting for machine time to open up which is a good position to be in knowing that you have some new stuff that you can kind of sit on or that you almost have to sit on. It's a good problem to have, like you said earlier. But the thing that I'm most excited about is as we've been growing, we've put the right people into place, like on a, the admin or management level type that we can grow substantially underneath that. Mm and I feel very strongly that we have the right people in place that we won't lose that family type atmosphere that we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's been, you know, even like from a marketing side, you know, we brought all that in house, right? We, We used to outsource a lot of like our video work and different things, but in today's world, everything needs to be turned like almost, Daily. In real time. Yeah. Or it's <laughs> <sure>. obsolete.
1: Right. <laughs> you know. I think even like on, on Instagram, I mean, if we're talking even just about Instagram, that's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, yeah. It's basically, you've got like 36 hours and then it's, and then it's dead. Like whatever you've posted or whatever, like that's your window yes. to get it in front of people. And then, I mean, the, the even the heightened level of difficulty for posting what you post, it's probably even a shorter time window than that, you know. And then we were finding, you know, we would pay
0: good money to have like these videos done and all this. Yeah. And we'd be so excited to launch it. And the, like you said, 24 hours later, we're like, so now what's our next one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you start realizing how short the shelf life was. You're like, we can't necessarily justify what we're paying these outside companies to yeah. do some of these videos, you know, because it's more, and we don't want to just produce content for the sake of producing content. Right. But you have to keep producing it at a high level all the time. Definitely. You know, like if we come out with a hype video from from Winter Strong a month from now, that does us no good. Right. Everybody else has already released theirs. (laughs) Everybody's on to the next thing. They're looking forward to Summer Strong or whatever, whatever spring activity they have planned. So to answer your question, that's where I'm excited about is I feel like we have a lot of growth potential. Yeah. Without having to take any huge next risk or steps, which there's always risk. And I don't want to make it sound like we're risk adverse by any sure. means, but, you know, we, we can add and grow without having to reinvent the wheel. It's probably a
1: better way to put it. Well, and that would probably just lend itself to you guys having built that foundation. Like you had said, I mean, this is 20 something or more when you count how long your dad's been doing it right? Like decades long business. And so it's, it's kind of like the, I love the, when people say it's like, oh, must be nice. The overnight, (laughs) overnight success, you're like, well, yeah, overnight for, you know, 30 years, if you want to say overnight, you know, yeah,
0: it always drives me crazy when I hear that must be nice, because, you know, in addition to the 30 years, it's, you know, once you own a business, there's no such thing as going on vacation, really. I mean, you can take a vacation, right. but you're not removed from what's going on. Right. And, and if you are, I give you all the credit in the world. I'm not good at it. But the the other thing that, and this goes back to like business coaching and surrounding myself with mm-hmm. or learning from people who I think are doing it the right way. You know, I was taught a valuable lesson about a year ago of, you know, if you have one, you have none. Mm. So, like with some of our key people, we've spent the last year adding that second person. Mm. So, if something would, you know, God forbid, happen to that person, they'd be injured, they would decide they want to go do something else. Sure. We can keep moving without having to say, uh oh, now what are we going to do for six weeks? Our head machinist just left. Now what? (laughs) Right. Kind of derails the whole operation. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's got me excited and awesome. And then I'll also say that the other thing that gets me excited is like events like we just did this past weekend. Yeah. Doing more fringe events is something that we call them fringe events, not right. like it might not be a actual shooting match or a right. firearms trade show. But bringing in new people to the industry and into shooting. Yeah. You know, because like even down there there's people that grew up shooting archery and that's all they shoot. Right. But they enjoy now that they've learned on a firearm. Um, I met a couple people down there that uh, one guy had purchased a handgun about a year and a half ago, had never fired it. And he's like, I want to learn more about shooting a handgun down here. Yeah. I'm like, well, here's your instructors. You're in a good spot. (laughs) You're in a good spot. And I got a text from him on Monday. He's like, that was life changing. That's awesome. So that's the events that we like to do. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we want to, we're going to get away from the matches and the stuff we've always done. Sure. But I always say there's nothing more exciting than when you put somebody new on a range and they hit that first target, the look that they get, the smile that comes (laughs) on their face,
1: you're like, that's why we do what we do. Yep. Yes. I love it. It was a blast, man. That was, it was seriously, uh, I can't, I can't really remember a time where I've shot too many rimfire pistols. Uh, I mean, I've had multiple 22 rifles throughout my life. You know, I still have, uh, I have one that's a pump action one. That was my grandpa's from back in like the fifties, I think forties or fifties A pump action. 22 was like one of my favorite ones ever. Uh, but I've had dozens or, you know, tons of those throughout my life, but the pistols were really fun. Like, uh, it was, it was one that I was like, man, I, this would be, I, I would never thought that I was like, I'm going to get a 22 pistol. You know what I mean? Like you're always thinking personal defense, whatever it's like, yeah. I need a nine or a, or a 40 or 45, whatever it is. But I'm like, I kind of want a 22 pistol now. <laughs> you know, and what was fun about that is during that competition,
0: you know, we had the orange target that we had, had one person had to hit. At the 50 yard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was actually set at 75 yards. Oh, was it that far? Yeah. It was either 50 or 75. But as people came up, they're like, we have to shoot with a pistol out to there. <laughs> and most people out of the 13 groups that came through hit it within the first four to five shots. Several of them on the first one, which is fun to see, like, the pistols pushing the limits of what people think is possible yeah. for a twenty-two pistol. Or what they think they're capable of, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you were talking about how you remember your first 22 that was your granddad's. That's the other thing that I love about being in like the 22 game. Mm -hmm. We did an email a couple years ago that said, you know, tell us about the first firearm or the first 22 that you owned. Mm -hmm. And we talked about like ours and different things. And it's probably one of the most responsive emails we've ever had. (laughs) And we had guys that were in their 60s and 70s writing us two and three page emails, remembering shooting with their, you know, grandpa, exactly where they were, exactly what the rifle was. That's so cool. And then they'd be like, and I still own that, and I'll be, you know, yep. passing it on to my son or my grandson. And I'm like, that's one of the – it's one of the few things that people remember that vividly the very first time they
1: did. Seriously, it it makes an impression. And I've got – I still have that one. And then I've got a couple others that I have. I mean, I think everybody on the planet probably has a lever action Henry 22. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, my son is almost three. And so, you know, he's got a couple of BB guns already. And we're like, you know, yeah. he's almost at that age where it's like he's going to have those stories and remember those remember those times, too. Because I still have that one from my grandpa that, that's downstairs. So it's like he'll shoot on that one, too, like four generations later, basically. It's a it's a pretty special thing.
0: And that's what's fun. We had somebody come up from the event that it was one of their first time shooting. And they've texted me since and said that I just figured out what I'm buying myself for my birthday (laughs) later on this month. (laughs)
1: Nice. I love it, dude. It's so awesome.
0: You know, and that's not what we're not there to sell. Right. That's not, you know, it's a nice residual from being there, but. I more enjoy the stories of yeah. somebody that stepped out of their comfort zone, were willing to try something new, and now they're like, hey, this is pretty fun. Yeah, it really and is. And I think that's why we're still so big into the 22 market, because the stories like that that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just
1: accessible. you know. It's, yes. Uh, I remember we, when we were there, we were talking, because somebody had asked you uh, – about like you know ammo prices and all that kind of stuff and you gave the example it's like the 22 is the only only caliber where it's like somebody will just like put their hand in a bucket and like pull out a handful <laughs> of them and be like oh this is these are my 22s like if other people have like all of their ones that they've cleaned and they've reloaded or it's like they're you know they're super specific we, we hear it all them. the
0: we hear it all the time they
1: have their centerfire
0: ammo stored in a climate controlled <laughs> You know, humidity can everything and they can tell you when they bought it, everything about it. And then we ask them, So what were you shooting through your rifle? Oh, I just have a bucket of twenty twos over there that <laughs> yeah, I pull just from. Like, grab a handful. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it in a pouch. Yep. I've got the same. You know, and I will say because a lot of people have the idea that twenty twos don't necessarily function reliably. So there's always a little bit of a nervous time that sets in because Buck does a very good job promoting the twenty twos that we build. Yeah. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, I please hope these run the way he just said they do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it's like him that's doing, you know, that's talking about him with the, with his level of, of expertise around it. Well, and it couldn't be worse conditions out there. It's damp, it's
0: cold, (laughs) it's, you know, sandy and dust everywhere, you know, wind. I shouldn't say on certain days it's dusty and windy, not when it's damp, but,
1: you know, I'm like, well, let's put them to the test (laughs) and see what happens. But that's the cool part. Like, you get to have 150 people just unload through them for two days. And you're yes. like, okay, these held up. They're doing their job. And everybody had a good time on them. It was awesome. Yeah, we had a blast down there. I- Did you see the video of Buck and Dudley doing the shoot-off? No, I have not. They did. A, I saw. I was there when
0: they did the shoot off.
1: Okay, you were you were there then. Yeah, I okay. was there. Yes. I because I we had these. to shut the range
0: down while they did
1: it. Yeah, I just saw the video because I wasn't up there when they did it. But they did uh, for like those who haven't seen the video or anything like that. John Dudley was there teaching archery, and uh, Buck, who was one of the long range instructors, they did a hundred yard target uh, competition with Dudley <laughs> shooting his bow and then uh, Buck shooting one of your pistols. So it was like that would probably be like. The, the most fair competition, because if Buck yeah. had one of the rifles, it would have been game over. Um, well, I, I don't think Buck expected John to make that shot. Oh,
0: he nailed it. <laughs> and he nailed it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when they went up there and took their picture, the bullet strike and the where the arrow hit were, like,
1: right next to each other. Crazy. <laughs> i mean like <laughs> that's the level of people yeah. we're dealing with at this thing yes <laughs> like, pistol from 100 yards and a bow at 100 yards and they nail with it. a group of 30 to 40 people probably at the time watching yeah just insane it was super fun yeah. but like that's the kind of stuff like that makes that weekend cool like because that's who's around you know yes it's just an awesome time but well man i appreciate you coming on i had a good time talking to you today it was a pleasure to meet well, you I, in person
0: i it was a Absolutely. I love meeting you guys down there and I appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, of course. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again at some point in the future and probably, you know, I would imagine it's going to be when we all come back from winter strong again (laughs) (laughs) next year. It's our recap show. Well, I haven't been to summer strong yet because I've always had conflicts. Yeah.
0: That's a fun one. Um, either weddings or my daughter was big into dance, which kind of meant my spring was big into dance for a long time. But she's done with that now. So I told my wife when I got back from Winter Strong, I probably texted her from South Carolina and said, hey, I'm going to Summer Strong, whether we have anything planned or not.
1: There you go. Well, I'll probably see you there, my man. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Ross. Yep. Thank you.